0: Good morning. Uh, good morning. This is hour two of Mornings with Carmen. If you missed hour one on this May the fifth, twenty twenty two, invite you to listen to the first hour via podcast later today at myfaithradio.com or via the Faith Radio app. Um, you can get it wherever you listen to your podcast as well. Uh, just you know, ask it to play Mornings with Carmen. It's the only one out there. The headline news today. Um, I wish that the headline news everywhere was that today is the national day of prayer and that everyone in the country was so intently focused on praying for the nation that we didn't have time for other headlines. But instead, um, the blaring headlines of the day across every media outlet are pretty much all the same. Abortion, 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 abortion. And the uh, the question of whether or not the Supreme Court is going to make a decision in the Dobbs case out of Mississippi, that will affect um, access to abortion nationwide, returning abortion and abortion access uh, or limitations to the decision of each and every state, which was the status prior to the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision of the Supreme Court. So lots of folks have been asking um, for resources related to the conversation um, uh, surrounding abortion, abortion certainly is the moral issue of our time. What does it mean to be pro-life? What does it mean to be pro-choice? Um, what does it mean to you know allow for abortion in the culture in some circumstances, but draw lines in other places? Where would we draw those lines? What are the moral arguments for and against abortion? When does life really begin? Um, and what does the Bible say about all of this? Jim Dennison has an excellent, albeit very long, um, but excellent uh, piece posted at denisonforum.org, What Does the Bible Say About Abortion, that I highly recommend. Um, so again, you can get it at denison, D-E-N-I-S-O-N, denisonforum.org. I will post it in all of my social media as well. Um, but he he lays out um, the pro-life and pro-choice, arguments he defines the terms of the conversation he gives us the moral arguments for and against abortion, and he unpacks several passages of scripture that are relevant to the conversation uh, maybe of critical importance to note is that the word abortion n- never appears in the Bible um, and so anything any any conversation that's going to be had um, in a in the context of of the church or among Christians, or as Christians bear witness in the culture, is going to rely on biblical text that somehow talk about um, life or the gift of children um, or the nature of the pre-born. We are going to press ourselves into the interpretation of Scripture and its integration into our worldview. We're not going to simply be able to proof text um, on this topic. But, you know, compelling to me— would be the passages of Scripture which, you know, describe God's knitting us together in our mother's wombs, forming our inward parts. Um, I think one of the most compelling pro-life texts uh, is, is the encounter of the pregnant Mary and the pregnant Elizabeth in the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Um, In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country. She entered the house of Zechariah, and she greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, "'Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy.'" Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. We're talking here about a child and we're talking about two mothers. That's the language of scripture. A pregnant woman is in scripture described as a mother and that which is in her womb is described as a child. Um, and so if you're looking for uh, what the Bible says about the preborn what the Bible says about the human being yet in the womb, whether or not it is human, whether or not it is a child, whether or not the person pregnant is a mother, um, here's a text in Luke chapter 1. That's just one of the passages that Jim Dennison unpacks in this lengthy um, piece posted today at DenisonForum.org. He also gives the, uh, this, this compelling articulation at the end of his piece from Mother Teresa on choosing life. Uh, Mother Teresa not only spoke directly into the Supreme Court of the United States' consideration of this and the uh, the Supreme Court's decision in Roe v. Wade, she also spoke very clearly on this topic at the 1994 National Day of Prayer breakfast. And since it is the National Day of Prayer, um, I think that reference uh, to Mother Teresa and what she had to say on this matter uh, are relevant as well. All right. So check that out at denisonforum.org. Dr. Peter Kapsner and I are going to continue our conversation next here on Mornings with Carmen. attempts to establish where in the world Peter Kapsner is up to good and no good, I bring you this week a question uh, raised by the Army in the United Kingdom investigating a fake priest who breached near the Queen's Castle. Dr. Peter Kapsner, can you either confirm or deny (laughs) that it was you?
1: Well, you know, I'm rarely in a position to confirm or deny. I can say that literally within the last month, I have been standing next to Buckingham Palace. That's a real thing. Now, um, I may or may not have made a mistake after getting into the Queen's Guard by deciding to talk about the fact that I used to work for an ejection seat company and that I've had organs replaced. And maybe at that point, the the tails got a little too tall for everyone. (laughs) <laughs> what a story. What a story. I couldn't what believe a story. It.
0: What a story. So the yeah. British Army said on Tuesday it was launching an investigation after reports that a man who was pretending to be a priest spent a night in the barracks with soldiers who are tasked with protecting Queen Elizabeth near her Windsor Castle home. So, yes, this individual told lots of um, far out tales. Suspicion about his identity began to be raised when he, quote, started talking about how he had worked as an ejection seat <laughs> test pilot, <laughs> and had some organs replaced. Yeah.
1: Amazing. Okay. What a story. So, amazing.
0: Amazing. What a story. Um, all right. Probably not Dr. Peter Kapsner. Um, so uh, in, in other news, the New York Times is reporting that there is a man who is married to a fictional character, and mm. uh, he wants us to hear him out. So uh, he is devoted uh, to a fictional relationship, and there is now an industry devoted to satisfying the desires of this fervent fan culture. What's what's going on Mm -hmm. here, Peter?
1: Yeah, people are uh, starting to. I think you and I talked about this a couple years ago, where people were falling in love with these virtual characters that find their way into video games. Sometimes they show up in, in other popular culture kinds of events. I know that. Um, Lady Gaga, for example, when she goes on tour, will have uh, false or fake or holographic pixelated images, however you want to think about it, uh, of people. They're actually not even based on real people. They're almost seen as real people in and of themselves, but they exist only in the digital world. And in this particular situation, this young man, quote, fell in love with this holographic created person, I guess, quote unquote, and uh, and decided to marry her. And in, in so doing, he said that she was instrumental in have in helping him return from some sort of mental health crisis where he had been bullied on a previous job, and uh, so the interactions with her sort of led him back, in his estimation, to health. And now he no longer has access to her because the company went through some sort of software update program, or the software is no longer available. And so, it's a it's really a crazy story, um, but when you think about maybe what was some of the precedent for this, um, even things as disturbing as pornography has been, have been about virtual relationships. These are not people you're actually in relationship with, but but you, you almost are, uh, sometimes even just a movie, like a good movie, right? You almost vicariously put yourself in the seat um, with the actors or the actresses having coffee with them or maybe going on a walk or experiencing their heights and, and joys. It's part of what always has been story, and now it's just gone completely crazy in terms of the holographic or pixelated world. And I I, I don't know how you've processed it, but this seems like ways in which young people are trying to escape their own real mental health crisis coming from real relational pain, and they can just almost have what they perceive to be a safe space. Now, I'm not advocating for any of that, but it's really, I, I guess in some ways, it's consistent with where we've been these last few years.
0: So for those of you looking for language, the language is fictosexual. Um oh. it's a growing movement of people who identify as fictosexual. Um, and they have real relationships with uh pretend people. Um real emotions. Um, he describes it as, you know, genuine commitment um and uh, in part of his his language here, um he He's never envisioned himself um, in a relationship with a human partner because he wants mm. one who will always be there for him never betray him and he will never have to see her get ill or die um, and so um, it is a I think it's something that we should be aware of that it's happening um, and it's not just happening in Japan we're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Peter Kapsner in just a moment you're listening to mornings with Carmen. And- We'd like to talk with Dr. Peter Kapsner about relationships and the confusion in the culture surrounding relationships. So, um, Peter, we've got uh, we got a number of headlines that we could turn to and look at. I'm intrigued by um, this reporting out of Deseret, uh, Deseret News about the birth rate, fertility, uh, America's fertility dilemma is the headline. Research suggests that falling fertility in the United States is not tied to demographics, economics, or policy, um, but the impact could hit all three. People are having fewer babies. Why?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, and and this is where I love my role as a professor with all these young, especially some evangelical students, and getting into their lives a bit because you see the headlines and the stats, and it's kind of nice to be able to verify then with anecdote and story if people really are feeling that way, and if so, why? And I can verify, Carmen, for sure, that over these last couple of years, um, even unprovoked for me in conversation, I haven't necessarily asked the question directly a ton of different times. But more and more and more young people uh, in an evangelical environment are saying, I don't want to have kids. No, I don't. I just I heard it, I think, yesterday. Oh, I can't stand babies. and um, and, and I'm hearing that more and more. I don't know entirely the why. Other than that, um, I do think there is the intersection of what I know you talk about a lot and we just referenced. The mental health crisis creates such an instability in a personal foundation and such an insecurity that you could actually accomplish or do anything at all that the overwhelming idea of having children, you don't want to have any part of it. I think that's one thing is that people feel uh, entirely ill-equipped to have children i think another thing is that the constant uh thumping that you should go and realize your dreams and your ideas and your and your and whatever it is that you want for you and you need you time all uh, all the time well babies are seen as a compromise to your own personal dreams and passions and visions and 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 the and the diminishment of being a mother or a father as uh Uh, a godly, um, eternal kind of vocation, that being diminished means that, oh, I don't really want to do that. So I do think the combination of being overwhelmed by responsibility with me wanting to do me kind of culture probably is accounting for it. But we, we did talk about it in my class about two weeks ago. One of my students brought it up and said, why is it a big deal that the birth rate is declining? And I thought, Well, there's probably a number of reasons for that. But, you know, the economic one that Deseret News talks about is that you're going to have a population base that can no longer support an aging population through contributions to Social Security and workforce, not to mention just the economy as a whole. And so just for the pragmatic reason of economics, you have to have continued birth rate in a country.
0: Okay, so birth rate um, is, I think, the right language to use. Um, I see the language of fertility rate being used. Um, I think that, and this sort of goes to another conversation we're having in the culture today about abortion and access to abortion and the hundreds of thousands of abortions that happen every year in the United States of America. I think if we're going to talk about fertility rate, we ought to talk about pregnancy rate. Yeah, um, agreed. And we, you know, and if we're going to talk about birth rate, then let's talk about birth rate. Um, But let's be, let's as Christians be very precise in our language. The decline of marriage goes hand in hand with fertility rates. That's the quote. Um, But I think that's better said. The decline of marriage goes hand in hand with falling birth rates. Uh, People are still getting pregnant. They're just getting pregnant outside of marriage. And then they're choosing not to have those babies. Um, They're fertile. This is not about fertility. Um, so much as it is about the choice that people who get pregnant are then making as to whether or not they have a baby. I mean, am I right?
1: Oh, for sure you are right. And and that is um, hand in hand, uh, again, with a complete misunderstanding of sexuality and sexual union and, and why we're invited into that. Um, it, it is meant to be a, a generative kind of thing, and it 's why it 's so painful in the scriptures when people can 't have children it 's also why it 's so painful today when so many people can 't have children but um, the the heart of the uh, of sexual union is meant to be a generative act of future image bearers that reminds us that we all come from the beloved God himself and and so 're you know sex is meant to be the sacred act of an outward looking future between two stable shepherds, male and female. But we have reduced that entirely to, well, it's an act that I do with whoever I wanna do it with, and it's about me and love and finding intimacy, and we've turned it inward. And to the extent that it's become so idolatrous is the extent that we are now in this place as well, where it leads to this whole whole abortion culture, um, promiscuity culture that's also then given tremendous um, fuel to the rise of the mental health crisis because it's such an intimate thing and yet we're using it in such non-intimate kinds of ways. So our spirits are so confused by all of it. And and I do see health and, and healing coming back to young people as we start talking about these things. But I think you're 100% right in what you said in terms of we need to be really clear about why it exists and, and what we're talking about in terms of birth rate, fertility rate, all of that.
0: Hmm. Um, people are making great observations on the text line about um, the The guy that we talked about who married a fictional character. Um, Mm. One person makes the observation, hey, in a way, you really just described God. He's always there. He never lets you down. He's not going to get sick or die. Um, This man needs Jesus. Yeah, there's there's no question that's exactly what he needs. Um, He needs Jesus. And he's also demonstrating great faith, right? I mean, it's just horribly, horribly misplaced. Um, Another observation related to this is that it sounds a lot like what um, the metaverse is promising to people, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, a holographic uh, girlfriend um, or, you know, a person with whom to spend time to be able to travel with them. You're going to be able to buy them things. You're going to be able to adorn them uh, in, in ways that please you. Um, buy gifts for them. There's a market here. I mean, this is a market economy and there's a market here.
1: Huge market. And and metaverse is actually one of the words that was used in that article. They talked about that a bit, that the rise of the metaverse, I think, is going to enable these kinds of virtual sorts of relationships. And I I mean, it's probably a terrible analogy, Carmen, um, but young kids that like to play with dolls or play with superheroes or play with whatever, you know, you, you get to decide everything about them and dress them up. They actually become your companions. You, you, you think about the, um, the lack of growth and maturity that has happened just because of the, uh, so much of the lack of shepherding. And in these young people are almost still in a place where they simply, Oh, I just want a companion. I just want a friend. I want somebody that I, that I can, can be with. And it, boy, it is so utterly confusing. I, I think at the end of the day, this is where the church can really help come around people, is is moving more from a big event on a Sunday morning and into really substantive places where people have community and support and fellowship and friendship and those sorts of things. I think that might be the first foundation stones for helping.
0: Mm. I think there's also uh, a huge sort of like missionary, mission field opportunity here. I don't really, you know, have a fully formed um, idea related to this, but, you know, like Christians are going to have to go into the metaverse as missionaries, because otherwise people are just going to end up lost there. So Hmm. I don't
1: know. I think you're right about that. Wow. Great conversation for another time, for sure. That's really intriguing. I Um, think you're 100% right about that. Yep.
0: Hey, um, could you do some research on scaffold parenting? Apparently after helicopter parenting and bulldozer or um, lawnmower parenting, we're going to have scaffold parenting (laughs) and maybe it's a good thing. So could you do a little research on that?
1: I definitely will. I'm up to the second Mm -hmm. story of my house as we speak, building Mm. that scaffolding. No, it's actually, it was really intriguing. We should talk about that next week. It was good.
0: Next week, Scaffold Parenting with Peter Kapsner. Hey, thanks, brother.
1: Yeah, thanks, Carmen. Talk to you soon.
0: You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. All right, John Stone Street has just convinced me I'm gonna write a children's book. There you go. Uh, he's just convinced me. It's uh, that's a that's a good and a valiant thing to be working on. Um, all right, we're gonna talk about kids. We're gonna talk about summer. We're gonna talk about camp. What are you doing with kids this summer? What are you doing for kids this summer? What are you doing with the kids in your community or for the kids in your church? Chris Witt is gonna join us next. He's the director of Windshape Camps. Yeah. We're going to talk about kids and fresh air and the great outdoors. All that next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right. Joining us now, Chris Witt. He's the director of Windshape Camps. Chris, welcome to Mornings with Carmen.
2: Hi, Carmen. Thanks for having me here.
0: Absolutely. All right. Uh, Make the case for camp. Make the case for fresh air and the great outdoors.
2: Man, after listening to the heaviness of this morning's show, I don't feel like I have to make much of a case. (laughs) Uh, We all need a a little break and a breather. And I will tell you this, we were built by the God of creation to experience his creation. So um, after COVID hit, um, we stole something from our kids beyond just the ability to get outdoors. We stole the ability to be in community outdoors, and I think they go hand in hand. Um, our our kids are, we've all seen the reports of um, that they're studying with mental health, struggling with mental health issues, you know, whether it be stress, anxiety, really anything on the board, they're, they're wrestling through it. They're lonely. They are emotionally disconnected. Um, going to school is one thing, um, but it's a... an environment where it's, you're structured in a certain way, getting outside in God's creation, you know, the the Bible's clear, God speaks through uh, what he's created, doing that in the context of other believers, Bible's clear, let us gather together, stir one another up to good works, encourage one another. Um, Those things go hand in hand to give a kid uh, what I would call crucible. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a place where, they're going to socially interact on their own, away from mom and dad. They're going to try out their skills. They're going to try out their who they are. Um, they're going to get feedback from the other kids uh, living with them. So it's not just going to school and coming back. It's living on your own, you know, facing that long, lonely night by yourself and uh, getting through it the next day, seeing the sunrise. It just all goes hand in hand, hand, in hand Carmen, to, to create a place where a kid can um, own their faith and see God in a way they don't see just, you know, sitting through a 2D experience um, or even, even um, I was a pastor at church and I, I was passionate about getting my kids into camp because church can become an artificial environment for a kid. Um, but you get a child away from that on their own um, in the midst of creation. And, and he just does something differently there. Mm.
0: So I know that one of the things that you guys do at Winshape is um, help college students engage as well um i have a number of college students who i know are going to be working in camps this summer um talk talk with us a little bit about you know what college students lost during the pandemic and and how serving in a christian camp uh over the summer can really you know just help them in so many ways
2: well um you know i've been involved with camping for 30 years i was a pastor at a church that worked with college students for Uh, 10 of those. And um, one of the things I always tell college students to tell them is during your time, you have a few summers to give away, to do something with. And I think every student needs to go overseas, do missions overseas to understand the plight of humanity from a different perspective and how Christ speaks to everyone. I think you need to work in your local church because you've never, you're never going to have a more powerful moment in the the life of a student, uh, of a young person, other than when you're in college. I mean, it's it's just a, a potent moment to do ministry with young people. And then third, work at a camp. And camp, the same reasons I just described to you are the same reasons I think they need it. Um, what I've watched the students in my own life, I've got two young men who um, are have just gone through college. One of them is all four years. He's graduating this year. Two of them were taken by COVID. And what we're seeing is that They got to college. They're trying to make the vital connection to other humans. (laughs) They're trying to make a vital connection to a church, and they weren't able to do that. And even churches that were able to provide small groups that couldn't meet in large groups, uh, they were on a screen. They weren't going to class. They weren't interacting with others. They were starting to live inside of a mental vacuum. Um, They were self-assessing their life at a really... Uh, a huge crisis moment, very formative moment. Um, Psychologists will tell you one of the hardest things for a human to do is self-evaluate accurately. We've got, we are built to have others speak into us and they weren't getting feedback uh, from other friends, from other peers, from mentors. Um, They weren't getting it in real life. They were stuck in their rooms. They were sent back home. So they weren't able to launch, you know, they, they, they weren't able to kind of own their own faith. And so, what we started seeing was huge. And we've, I know I'm sure you've talked about it on your, on your show, huge um, rates of kids feeling like they're, they're depressed, mm-hmm. um, eating disorders, everything you can think of on the gamut of, of mental health rose. I've got a friend who opened a counseling center uh, that was specifically called the Anxiety Center. Mm-hmm. Um, and she opened it right just pre COVID and it she cannot keep enough counselors on the docket she cannot handle the amount of um, of college students in particular but high school students as well that are are looking to talk about what they're going through and so now they've come back and things are going normal but i had one student tell me the problem is my freshman year was awkward i made a few friends but then there was nothing for me in the summer i went home uh, i took online classes And I went through COVID for two years. Now I'm coming back and I feel like it's my senior year and I'm starting all over. And Carmen, think about your experience in your, from 18 to 24, and all the Uh relationships you made and how they informed you. This young man got none of them. And so he doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know what he's going to do next. He feels intense anxiety about the future because he just hasn't, haven't had those crucibles of community that we desperately need. So that's what camp provides. Um, like no other. You live together, you work together on complex issues, you serve others. Um, Another thing we know that is um, predictive in a a child moving from a child's faith to an adult faith that lasts is their ability, one, to have experiences with God outside of the home, outside of the church they grew up in, but also for them to um, serve others like have to teach others, have to be the essence of what they believe um, in, a, in a very real way where they're watched and, and measured by it. And, and camp does that because those kids are watching. Um, you get tired, you get worn down, and you still have to wake up in the morning, just like parents do, um, and be what your child needs for you. So I, I think it's crucial to the development of an 18 to 24 year old to go through something like that.
0: All right, and if you're saying to yourself, I love this idea, I'd love to pass this along to a college student um, who I know and I want to get them connected, um, if you go to work at windshape, work at windshape.org, that is just one place where a college student could connect with the best, greatest, ultimate summer job, um, which is serving um, in, in college leadership, at a windshape camp across the country. Talk with us about how this works because it's not like windshape camp is a specific place where everybody is going to the same place. Windshape camp is an experience um, and actually local churches can host it. Like what? This is such a unique model.
2: Yeah, you know, um, we do have um, overnight facilities and places where you can do that camp. But one of the reasons I came to windshape because was because of the model you're talking about. We are in 86 cities across the country. Um, honestly, it, the the more college staff we get, the more cities we'll go to. And the unique nature of this is that we partner with a church, and we come to you and say, we want to help you to build into your community. And so we're going to bring 30 culturally relevant God-fearing, God-loving men and women that are full of energy and life. And we're going to bring trucks full of fun and program into your community. We're going to transform your church. We're going to partner with a local Chick-fil-A mo- uh, operator because our founder is true at Kathy, And uh, so in honor of his legacy, we partner with a local operator who's going to bring Chick-fil-A, so free Chick-fil-A for the kids and the church and all the volunteers. And we put on a, a week of uh, of another world in your, in your hometown. And you, we will have churches with 500 kids and you get to meet their parents. Many of these families are not churched. They're just local neighborhood, uh, folks that, that you've been able to outreach to, and they're coming because they want their kid to have an amazing experience. And so, uh, that's what we do. And like I said, we're from Los Angeles to Virginia and we're growing every, every week.
0: All right. that's just incredible. all right you guys can um, check out um, windshape and what they're doing. Um, where's the best place for folks just to directly connect with you because I'm on the work at windshape.org site but maybe um, it's just something simpler than that.
2: yeah if they want, if they want to go to, to windshape.org that's for summer staff who want to work. If they want to go to windshape.org and look under camps they there's uh, links there to connect to talk with us about bringing camp to your community. I
0: love that. All right. Winshape.org. So when you think about that, it's the word win, W-I-N, and then like the shape, you know, the shape of art. Winshape.org. Does it stand for something?
2: Yeah. So Truett had this saying, he believed all the kids that worked for him were, he just saw them as winners, like his, from his mindset, every, Mm. every student he had, you know, this kid's a winner and I just want to shape them into the full expression of who God created them to be. So he just talked about that a lot. And so when he started this, he said, I want to call it win shape because I want to shape these winners to be overcomers for Jesus. So, um, yeah, that's, it has a lot of meaning behind it.
0: I love that. All right. We're going to continue our conversation here in just a moment with Chris Witt. He is the senior director of Winshape Camps. You can check it all out at Winshape.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. right. If you have a camp testimony, if you have a camp story to share, text me at 877-933-2484. I'm going to read Chad's um, camp story here in just a moment and Lois's camp story as well. If you've got a camp story to share, uh, a little testimony, go ahead and text me at 877-933-2484. We're talking with Chris Witt. He's the senior director of WindShape Camps. Um, Chris, um, just one more thing before we let you go when you When you consider the impact of camping on you as an individual on others um, who have been you know transformed um, through a life changing memory making adventure experience of camp, um, is there is there something that you would say to people who have never had that experience but still might be able to provide it for others?
2: Yeah, I, my favorite story, you know, I think we learn in stories. My favorite story of impact is one that I've seen happen a thousand times. And I, I'm here to say, find a camp somewhere, a Christian camp, obviously. Winshape would love to have you, but get a child into camp because of what I saw happen to Ryan. Ryan was a young man that um, came to camp for several years. And when he was older as an adult, he, I asked him, I said, why'd you keep coming back? What was it all about? And he said, "Listen, when I went home, I didn't like myself. I woke up in the morning, I looked in the mirror, and I hated what I saw. I wasn't popular. I didn't have, you know, uh, uh, any skill. I didn't feel like I was good at anything. Um, and everyone else around me was great at something. And I'll tell you right now, almost every teenager feels that at some moment, right? But Ryan said I started coming to camp when I was about nine years old, and I kept coming back, and." It, and every year I met these people at camp in this unique environment where I I settled in and God spoke to me in different ways. And I began to see that there was something worthy in me, something of value. And there's this group of people that loved me and saw something in me, encouraged me in and, and, and ways that just weren't happening anywhere else. And I knew my parents loved me, but I was hearing it from people who'd never met me. And that was unique to me. And then I would go home. And those feelings would come back and those experiences would come back and I would start to drift into these holes of of self-loathing. But I always remembered there was this city on a hill, this place, this camp that I went to, and these people that loved me and saw something in me that told me God saw something in me. And I would go back every year and and fill back up with that. And then I'd come back home. And over time, that city on a hill became my fuel that got me uh, from year to year to year. And, And Ryan... Said that transformed me. And it wasn't any one counselor, it was the sum total of the experience. It was, um, it was Natalie in the kitchen, and it was, you know, Jeff the lifeguard, and it was my counselor. And it was year after year of that consistent experiencing that that place that worked the way God said the world was supposed to work, that gave me a vision for who I could be. And then Ryan went on to become a um, a very successful lawyer and is is doing legal work in the name of Jesus. And um, that's the impact of camp. I've seen it happen a million times for kids. It's just playing, but playing on purpose in the context of God's creation, centered around the Word of God, and it just transforms in a way no other can.
0: Thank you um, so much, Chris, for joining us. want to encourage people to check out what's happening at WindShape Camps so and maybe consider hosting a Wind Shaped Camp um, in your own church or community. And if you're a college student, consider um, you know, serving on summer staff at one of the wind-shaped camps. If you're in a position to do so, scholarship a kid to attend one. There you go. All kinds of ways to engage. Um, Chris, thank you so much. All right. Some testimonials here coming in on the text line at 877-933-2484. Lois says, my husband and I met at a Christian camp 36 years ago, and then we worked full-time at several Christian camps for more than 20 years. We raised our four children Um, in that time and in those places. Encourage people to look for camps at ccca.org. That's the Christian Camp and Conference Association. Well, thank you, Lois, for that recommendation. From Chad, Chad says, Lake Beauty Bible Camp in Minnesota. Shout out I went there in the 80s as a youth. My wife and I have gone for 25 years, or my wife has gone for 25 years to a women's retreat there. My son has gone to children's camp, and now we go as a family for Memorial Day weekend camping. It's so wonderful to be able to share all of our individual experiences as a family and to be able to share with each other all the memories we individually made there um, and now, making new memories there together as a family, our son is sixteen, and we feel very blessed that he 's still thrilled to go to camp with us. Amen, Chad. Thanks for sharing that. Jessica uh, chimes in says young life 's windy gap and pioneer plunge were life changing for me and then I served on summer staff, cleaning toilets exclamation point. It changed my life. My daughter is now serving this summer at a camp in California. Um, where her life was changed as a high school student as well. Thanks uh, for that testimony, Jessica. Amy says, church camp is awesome. Shout out to Hartman Center. I spent a number of summers there and enjoyed uh, being a camp counselor as well. I think that's where my love of the outdoors comes from. Maybe you have a camping story, a camping testimony to share. You can text me at 877-933-2484. So, um, we are uh a church camping family just in terms of life experience and um and i say church camp i maybe i better say christian camp um because not all of my experiences have been related to churches that were involved in camping but certainly um christians who supported um the camp experience i'm thinking here in my own experience about young life camps that were Certainly transformative for me and integral to um, my my testimony as a Christian, and so so thankful for that. Um, also wanted to highlight what Chris said about encouraging college students to spend some time overseas. Maybe you're going to do that as a semester. Maybe you're going to do that during a summer. Maybe you're going to do it over another extended break between semesters. Um, I highly recommend that. I also recommend having an urban mission or urban ministry experience. In addition to um, a Christian camp experience during college, consider serving in an urban ministry, particularly if you're born and raised in a more rural environment, um, having an urban ministry experience, I think is really ex- essential. I think you should work in your local church year round. I don't think that should just be a summer thing. So there you go. And then of course, you know me, I think everybody should spend a summer working on a farm. I think you'd learn a lot. Um, I think it would bless uh, not only you, but others. So work on a farm, work at a camp, work in an urban mission, work in your local church, all kinds of great things. Spend a semester overseas. All right, we got more to come. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Today is the National Day of Prayer, and so tonight is the National Day of Prayer broadcast. We are hosting it, um, broadcasting it here on all of the Faith Radio media outlets. So however you're listening right now, you can listen at 7 p.m. Central tonight, May the 5th, to the National Day of Prayer broadcast from the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. It's also um, Mother's Day this weekend. I me encourage you to uh, be making a plan now for how you're going to honor your mom, your godmother, The women who serve in ways in your life that mother you, you probably have lots of them, not just one. I hope you do. Um, So let's be sure we're going to honor them this weekend. Uh, My colleague Susie Larson has a devotional um, entitled, May His Face Shine Upon You, 90 Biblical Blessings for Mother and Child. And we are giving away a bundle, a blessing bundle of them every single day during the month of May. And so you should register today to enter our May Blessing Giveaway of his, of May His Face Shine Upon You. Um, and you do that at MyFaithRadio.com. So you'll have a copy for yourself. You'll have a copy to give away. Um, maybe there's a mother and a granddaughter, uh, you know, your daughter and granddaughter. Maybe there's a mother and daughter. And you're thinking to yourself, you know, just be it'd be a blessing to be able to bless her with this. Well, there you go. Sign up today for our May Blessing Bundle giveaway of May His Face Shine Upon You, 90 Biblical Blessings for Mother and Child. Again, you do that at MyFaithRadio.com. Thanks for being here today. We'll see you right back here tomorrow on the Faith Radio Network. I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio.